Welcome to NREI's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at NREIOnline.com. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to The Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. Today, we're going to have a special guest on, and that is Charles Krowitz. He is the Vice President and Head of Commercial Lending at Alliant Credit Union. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you? I'm doing well. I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so, how are you? How are you uh, holding up overall, given uh, what's going on? Where Where exactly are you based? Uh, we are based in Rolling Meadows and in Chicago. And is everything, uh, you know, just weathering the storm there? So we were. Uh, it's very interesting. We have called roughly 625-ish employees, and we were fortunate that within um, you now a day or two of the the work at home, we were down to about call it 20 people in our our two offices combined. And so we are uh, operating very very efficiently as uh, as a credit union in service of of our members of our depositors. One of the things I was curious just to start with is we don't I don't often talk to credit unions in in the commercial real who are working in the commercial real estate space. So if you could just take a minute to talk about the organization and and the and the ways that you do financing for for the space and how that's maybe a little different than some of um, the other lender types that, that that people are working with. Sure. Yeah. You don't typically find uh, credit unions to be uh, go-to sources of commercial real estate financing. And there, there certainly are some that are active in the space. Uh, most are, are active in the smaller range, I'd say in the one to $5 million range. And they are typically confined to a very, very limited geography. Uh, Alliant is a little bit different in that we have a national field of membership and we are you know, a down the middle of the fairway commercial real estate lender that is is out there offering loans with constructs that are are similar to what you would find from regional banks, similar to what you would find uh, in the CMBS space and uh, in the credit union, or sorry, in the insurance company space as well. We're now again national lender. Average deal size this past year was about eleven and a half million dollars. Okay. And we lend to uh, commercial real estate investors who are well healed, who understand the uh, the asset type. Uh, it, it's their business. It's not a a one off investment. It's not a hobby. Uh, this is you know our our borrowers do this for a living. And we're fortunate. Uh, we're fortunate to be one of the largest credit unions in the country with a little bit over twelve billion dollars in assets. Okay. And in terms of the, the loans that you're doing, are you ju- doing just senior debt or you do any bridge financing? What, what kind of products? So are- so about 85% of our loans are on stabilized properties. 15% are more bridge in nature, uh, but I would call it light bridge. You know, it's where we are on the 20 yard line or deals on the 20 yard line and we can kind of see how uh, that gets into the end zone. So you're dealing in a fairly safe part of the market? Uh, yes, by and large, yes. So there, there are uh, some transactions where we have participated with other lenders. We are not a construction lender, so we have participated uh, with other lenders on construction loans, lenders that have specialized in that space, and we've been able to, to play a role in the, uh, the capital stack 
uh, with those lenders. So, so given all that, what are you seeing right now? Um, are you know just given this unprecedented kind of pause in the in the market? Are there deals that are are still happening? Are you doing financing right now? Are people buying, selling? What's what, what's going on out there? So we are certainly very active on the financing side. We have not uh, pulled back. Certainly the terms that we offer have changed uh, significantly, uh, much more conservative in nature. I don't think there's as much purchase uh, activity as, as there was. The transactions that we have seen really since the pandemic have, has taken hold our refinance opportunities. Transactions that Several weeks ago, we may have been looking at and, and offering a, a cash out mm-hmm. and uh, limited to no recourse. In today's world, uh, that cash out is is being very structured. It's, it's something that will allow, but it's something that will allow after you know eighteen months of uh, performance, uh, proven performance from the point of making the loan forward. Um, it's not you know a day one proposition. And oftentimes the loans that we're structuring now involve some degree of recourse and that recourse, again, being structured so that it can can burn off based on the performance of the underlying asset. And, and then I would add to that, oftentimes we are looking for some kind of debt service coverage reserve and that it varies by, by property types. And we do lend, uh, you know, generally speaking, on, on all property types. Okay, so it sounds so it sounds like deals are still happening. Some of the some of the pricing and maybe some of the conditions and that service coverage ratios and those kind of things are are, are adjusting and, and I imagine maybe even changing on a week to week basis at this point. But it's not as if there's nothing happening. That that's correct, and we're fortunate where we're a fairly nimble organization and able to be very very responsive and structure deals on a one-off basis. There isn't you know, a one-size-fits-all proposition. We've never been a program-oriented lender. Uh, we've always been willing to understand the, the stories and the drivers uh, that underlie that real estate opportunity. So in these weeks, you know, we've seen the Fed introduce a bunch of programs or reintroduce programs in some cases like TAUF and we've got Congress doing the CARES package and now talking about other packages. I think the, the big question that I think we, we are, you know, there's a lot of awareness that obviously that this has happened. I think the question that, that we are asking and also we have people asking us is how much have these moves helped? And do you think that there's more that needs to be done from the, you know, either the, on a legislative level or on the monetary policy or Fed facility level to help to help the market right now? You know, I think I think the government has um, really, really stepped in and stepped up and it's been very, very helpful. Um, the the liquidity that they have pumped into the marketplace has has been very, very helpful. Uh, is there more that can be done? You know, I think that is, is definitely the case. In particular, you look at a you know, a couple of property types. You look at hospitality and you, you look at retail, and those are property types that are going to have a lot of difficulty rebounding and are in need of you know, perhaps more tailored and direct assistance than the market uh, at large. 
So that yeah, maybe, maybe, and maybe that takes the form of, of low interest rate loans, mm-hmm. um, you know, super low interest rate loans uh, that are specific to hospitality and, and retail as a means of, of helping uh, these properties recover uh, over a much, much longer period of time. Yeah, so I think that that gets to a related question here, which is, so right now, you know, we're seeing these deep impacts and, you know, the hotel occupancy numbers are out there, the retail sales numbers are out there. So there are these massive hits that are happening. So then we know that that eventually, you know, and I think there's some expectation that maybe in the, in the time being, depending on the the strength of the operator or, or the borrower on, on these assets, there might be, you know, a period where they can, you know, continue to cover their loan or they may be able to work out some kind of arrangements with their lenders for extensions, but that eventually there's going to be distress uh, opportunities that are going to emerge. How is, do you have any um, anticip- expectations for how we might see the distress cycle play play out once we're kind of out of this immediate uh, crisis period? Uh, that's, that is a great question. Uh, a lot of um, uncertainty, obviously, around that. Properties in general were, uh, prior to the pandemic, um, were starting to move away from single-use, traditional use uh, in nature. So multifamily was having to incorporate, uh, you know, some kind of Airbnb concept into their buildings, and they were having to look at what they had intended to be retail space and, and using that as, as perhaps co-working space. And so property owners, I think, have been challenged recently to be more dynamic, to, to not be so staid and um, thinking that their property you know, was could only be used in one particular fashion, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, offering more of a d- dynamic mix. And when you look at hospitality, and you look at retail, uh, the challenges that those properties were facing prior to the pandemic only get kind of magnified in a post-pandemic world. And so, anyone who would want to acquire those properties distressed or otherwise mm-hmm. would need to be a visionary would need to be creative in how they were going to position those assets on a go forward basis um, because it's hard to envision that a lot of the retail properties are simply just going to continue to exist as storefronts you know we were we were facing the need for the experiential component of it uh, and that is that is heightened even more. So the challenge of that will manifest itself even after the pandemic, even after perhaps a cycle where properties are distressed and they come onto the market at a, a low price per pound basis. It's, you know, what do you do with it from there? Yeah, okay. That's a really interesting point. I, 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 no one, No one's kind of mentioned that before. So that's very interesting. But I think that's really right. Like this idea that, so it's not just necessarily you take a building that has a certain level of vacancy and then you just work really hard to release it. You have to think about maybe these outlooks and even the, the some of the modified behaviors that we might have coming out of this that, that may persist even after the crisis to think about how you're going to re, re-tenant or you know, really get that, that space to work. 
Yeah. What it, what is an entirely different tomorrow look like? Yeah. Based on based on the internet, uh, based on the the fear of uh, high density living, um, based on new shopping patterns. Right. I mean, have you found you know your? I mean, I'm sure you you know your own behaviors around working and consumption change during this that you see um, persisting once we are allowed to back out again. <laughs> No, I mean, I think personally, I'll go back to my old behaviors, albeit you know, with some hesitancy to get on a metal tube in the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not going to be rushing out. I think obviously Zoom and others have shown that there's ways to have, I guess, call it intimate contact through through the computer screen. In terms of you know doing business right now, sorry, like looping back, it just occurred to me another question, like. In, in in actually in terms of like actually um closing you know deals is all that stuff just now happening with like DocuSign or you know exchanging secure documents online and and, and getting those things done that way and, and doing stuff through Zoom? So not not fully not fully Absolutely. i am admittedly going into the office uh a couple of evenings um during the week to make sure that i don't run into anyone in the elevators and i am physically signing documents will eventually you know will it eventually be the case that these documents can be signed electronically yes unquestionably but it's not but it, but it hasn't been something that you had immediate, have had to immediately like flip a switch on no, um, there was some talk as to how to do a video uh, notarization, mm-hmm. um, and and I think you know we have those mechanics down. Uh, if and when the transaction pops up, that that requires that, but we have not done it yet. In in terms of like the distress again, like the th- thinking about about this distress cycle after the great you know after the financial crisis great recession i feel like that 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 distress cycle lasted for for almost like for several years of uh opportunities and 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 part of it was i think the way that if i'm remembering it correctly you can correct me if i'm if if i'm misremembering it but the way that i that i remember that i playing out was that part, part of the way the distress cycle was managed was to kind of um, delay some some stuff from coming through the system so that like it, it wouldn't be overwhelmed all at once and that banks could work through a certain amount of bad you know distressed assets or reo at a time and then and then for in, in, in some situations like offer you know did, did these extend and pretend and amend situations to try to delay and and prolong this process and then it felt like that actually and the, that, that that actually worked to an extent because it, it we, we did get through all of that distress, obviously, and reemerge into a strong market. So, I don't, so I guess you, yeah, I think um, right. I think last time the slow bleed really was a result of the lack of capital cushions um, by financial institutions, mm-hmm. and since then, uh, re, you know, the regulatory environment has has changed that, and financial institutions are much uh, better capitalized. And accounting laws or regulatory requirements are such that losses get recognized um, immediately. Okay. And and so I don't think you're going to have the pretending. I do think you're going to have a lot of extending. Mm-hmm. One recognition of the fact that there's not a lot of capital in the marketplace. So if a loan's you know maturing, 
Um, where can you reasonably expect a borrower to go? And, and two, the last, uh, the Great Recession showed that we were better off trying to work with borrowers and to um, have solutions play out over time and, and not to you know, kind of rush things along. That, that wasn't a win-win for anyone. And I think in the negotiations that I enter into with borrowers that are feeling the pinch right now, is one really aimed at trying to figure out how can we both win? Now, what is a, what is a meeting of the, in the middle between my needs, which are, are keeping funds flowing to uh, the credit union's members, to our depositors, mm-hmm. and the borrower clearly uh, suffering from a lack of cash flow at the property? And oftentimes, we've been able to find um, a confluence of interest by being open and honest with each other. And, and that will mean some longer workout scenarios, unquestionably. Oh, I think those are the, the kind of the questions I had. Are there, are there any other, you know, observations or things happening in the market that you th- think would be important to, um, for people to know about that, that we haven't discussed? Well, I, I think it's important for borrowers to, to recognize that not a, there isn't a one-size-fits-all. And so they're inclined to hear something on the news that, uh, you know, maybe it's because a, a, a lender has uh, the backing of the government, or maybe it's because a, a lender has a different capitalization structure, has the ability to, to access um, you know, the public markets. Uh, and, and because of that, they're able to and willing to offer up some concessionary packages. That doesn't mean that every lender is, is necessarily coming at the situation from the, the same backdrop and that there should be an appreciation of that by borrowers when they try to engage uh, you know, with their lenders. Well, yeah, that seems like a, yeah, an important point for people to, to realize because I, I think it is very easy to, to look at the news or see certain examples and then just expect it to be as simple, but a lot of stuff is going to be case by case and it's going to depend on borrower quality and institutional standards. Right. Yeah. And I also think it's very important for borrowers to come with a game plan and to be, you know, to, to um, think outside of the box, to be uh, visionaries a little bit as to what does a post pandemic world look like and how can they best start positioning their their property for that? Um, you know, should should they be converting a, a floor of their multifamily property into self storage? You know, things that they've never really thought about before. I, I think everyone needs to think about you know going forward, particularly again going back to to retail and hospitality. You know, what what does a near term post pandemic world look like, and what does a longer term post pandemic world look like, and, and start envisioning that and talking to their lender about how to, how we move from here to there and, and the justification for it. Oh, well, that's a, definitely a lot for um, people to chew on. Yeah. Well, I wanna, yeah. <laughs> but I think you're right too, because I, I, I started to think about it. I mean, I'm in New York city, so we're right in the middle of, you know, the hardest hit part of the country and I'm just trying to imagine what it's going to be like, or, you know, we're on pause as, as governor Cuomo or, likes to say for another month and but then when we do start to like open the valve and go back what kind of density are are, are people going to be comfortable with and what kind of behaviors are we going to have as we start to move back into into 
you know, a dense environment. Yeah, I mean, the notion that the same old, same old will produce something other than the same old, same old, you know, we need to move beyond that. All right. Well, I want to thank you. Um, thank you so much for, you know, walking me through all this and, and discussing this stuff. I think this is very, this is very uh, useful and, and illuminative for, for the audience. And I appreciate you taking the time. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to, to share some of my thoughts, uh, no matter how divergent they may be. <laughs> thank you. All right, Charles, thank you so much for being on the show. David, thank you for bringing him on the show. And lastly, to the audience, I want to thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at NREI, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of NREI or Informa. The content has been made available for information and educational purposes only.